This is the Civics Lab at St. Edwards University, sponsored by a grant from the Hatton Sumner's Foundation. This week, the Civics Lab goes to the small town of Llano, Texas, and discovers that healing the wounds of the Vietnam War may be the key to solving our current political divide. Interviewed over 20 people on all sorts of questions related to what issues are important to them, whether this election was fair and had uh, uh, integrity in the election process. But one thing we heard quite a bit as we were talking to people, and we really weren't there for the purpose of this, but one thing we heard a lot from people across Lano is that they don't trust government and they do not see how the institutions of government are really representing them effectively. And it was really driven home very hard for, for, for those that were interviewing people in two different interviews. And those two interviews dealt with former Vietnam vets. One of them was at a militia rally. The other was on an anti-war protest area near a bench from the old song, Alice's Restaurant. And both of them embodied this idea that somehow the Vietnam War is still part of our distrust, that we are still dealing with the wounds of the Vietnam War and the distrust that that war created and the betrayal that people felt and the corruption of the political figures and the institutions. The Vietnam War um, and the release of the Pentagon Papers completely shifted the American psyche. So the Pew Research Center has been tracking public trust in government since 1958. And in 1964, we actually see um, trust in government peaked at 77%. And ever since then, um, it's just completely dropped off. And today, only about 17% of people say that they have any trust in government. And only 3% of people say that those elected in Washington, uh, quote, just about always do the right thing. So it's really interesting to see how that shift has completely occurred. And today we're in a state where no one seems to trust government on either side of the aisle. Uh, and if you think about it in terms of the nature of how uh, both the hippies in the Vietnam War or the current protests in Black Lives Matter, um, or in terms of the, the veterans that, that were returning from the Vietnam War or those that support law enforcement. Uh, it doesn't matter if someone supports Trump or Biden. Both sides of this current debate in American politics is distrustful. They don't trust the institutions. They don't trust the politicians that inhabit those institutions. I mean, we heard all sorts of uh, stories from, the, from just the public. Uh, one woman said that there's a lot of bad stuff that happens. When politicians start off with good intentions, they actually end up being corrupted by uh, lobbyists and money and the interests that go into the office that they hold and that they change when they, they move into office. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on leaders um, from all kinds of lobbyists and organizations and um, that kind of make them do things that they don't want to do just because they get paid or they get threatened or, you know, I think there's a lot of, I don't know, 
bad stuff that happens within government. And I think that you can take a really faithful, strong person who would be a great leader for us, but then they're influenced by all of that. And I think it makes a big difference in the world. But going back to the Vietnam thing, you know, that was a turning point for the loss of trust. And then it just became the snowball effect where things kept on, people just kept on feeling that their government was not working for them anymore. In rural and urban communities, it's not just one or the other. Do you think that this loss of trust in the American institutions is because we don't have enough accountability in the system? Are these two different, are these two different ideas? The idea of holding our officials accountable in an election, for example, or holding them accountable through other measures and means versus trust. I, I think that representatives have to earn trust. And so I, I think accountability comes first and trust is a result of accountability. Um, once, once someone has proven themselves time and time again, and once they show that they can be reliable and that they're fighting for you and for your needs, and they're not putting their, their own selfish desires above your needs and the community needs, whether that be, you know, profiting from their their position or whether it be simply there just to hold office and, and to have power. Um, I think trust is 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 a result of the accountability that the people have to provide. But if the if the accountability doesn't doesn't happen at all, then there can be no trust. Well that's interesting because one woman we talked to, she was actually a painter. She was painting the courthouse across the street from the Lano courthouse. Her uh, her friend and painting, beautiful painting of the courthouse. Uh, and one thing she said was that when she thinks of terms like trust, she thinks of President Trump. Well, when I think about truth and love and goodness and trust and our constitution, I think about President Trump. And he has had a, a lot of endurance uh, all this four years, more than anyone that I have ever um, known before. And he, to me, is almost like, uh, in a way, a spiritual leader. He, or he has been sent here for some reason to help us, to help the world, to help America, because uh, in politics, they, I think they have forgotten that we pay their salary and, but we have don't we don't have a voice. So, and President Trump is helping us with that voice. Why do people seem to trust Trump but distrust government? I think historically, the institution that has held government accountable has been the media, and people had trust in the media to hold their elected official elected officials accountable and to tell us the truth about what's going on in Washington. Um, and something that Trump has done is completely discredit the institution of the media. And I don't think it started with Trump, but I think it definitely accelerated um, under his administration and during his elections, calling the media the enemy of the American people. And so I think there is a lot of accountability that's lost there. And now that Trump's base believes that the media is against him, um, they see him as the ultimate arbiter of truth. Um, and they don't equivocate Trump as the government. They seem to be two completely different entities based on the interviews that um, I listened to. And Trump is actually fighting the government and is trying to dismantle the corruption that 
they perceive that's existed since, well, forever, but highlighted with Vietnam. Know that our government has done the best it can, our elected government, not our government. I'm going to start rephrasing that. We need to start using elected government. Our government is the Constitution. We all know that our politicians are not very good about obeying that. So, look, folks, if you read what our founders said to say, they specifically designed the Second Amendment for these times. Now, does that mean we want you to grab their arms and get violent? No. Just study what, what the term militia is in the Second Amendment, why the founders put it there, and then start using that as a tool to regain your voice back. The more militias form, they form professionally, they behave professionally, they support their communities. It gives the politicians heads up warning, we've had enough. That's a, that's a very interesting point, Bailey, because, I mean, you hear Trump say it all the time and you heard it during his reelection campaign even uh, during his debate with Biden, where he says, I ran because of you, Joe, I ran because of you. And, you know, he hits that emphasis that he's not a politician, that he doesn't want to be a politician, that he's a businessman who wanted to do good for the American people. And I think that narrative and, and that rhetoric has really, I think that's really why his base is so supported, supportive of him. How did you, how did you come up with the idea of starting a Trump store? Last March, I started selling Trump stuff. And, How's uh, that going? Well, it's it has been going real well up until about a week ago. Of course, I started selling it March of 2019 uh, with just three different types of caps and three different T-shirts. And now I have over 50 styles of caps, uh, 15 styles of T-shirts, 24 styles of flags, bumper stickers, you know, and it's, they've just flown off the wall. Yeah, and I've had some of his staff members come in here and uh oh that's interesting take a picture and say thank you and all that and i said well hey i trust the man yeah the number one thing is what i've been hearing all my life they want an honest government and i know honest and government really don't coincide each other but they want to be able to have confidence in their leadership and right now trump they have had for four years an enormous amount of confidence look at his numbers you may not like the guy but that's fine I think um, to kind of tie this back to Vietnam in a way, when veterans from Vietnam came back, there were a large portion of them that felt disenfranchised, abandoned by their government, even society itself. There were large groups of people that were treating them poorly. So they kind of felt like they were forgotten. And I think a lot of these rural communities feel the same way, that they're kind of forgotten by their government or they're playing second fiddle to the big cities. And uh, when Trump comes out and he pretty much says, like, I'm here for you, specifically you, by name, rural community X, I'm here for you. That, that creates a feeling in somebody that has felt disenfranchised and abandoned that it's like, this is our guy. The only thing I would say is the difference between rural and, uh, and not is that, you know, cities, there are people there that want the government to do more for them. Whereas in, in the country, people don't want the government in their life. You know, less government is good, and that's the way I believe. Because exactly. I don't see the government being exactly efficient. If you watch Congress as an example, that ain't very efficient, you know? Exactly. So why would you want government to do more for you? Holy cow. One of the interviews that we uh, had on that Saturday, and it was with a Group W, um, member it's group w is a group that's referenced in the alice's restaurant massacre song by arlo guthrie 
Um, this was a highly interesting interview. Um, the person that we interviewed, the man, was a paratrooper veteran from Vietnam. My focus is on uh, the parks. I spent a lot of time uh, working in the, the local parks we have, picking up trash and things like that. Just uh, the state could do better. The Texas is ranked very low on the environment, so ranked very low on health care. Uh, so, you know, but uh, again, uh, Lano is one of the most conservative counties in the state, and it is what it is. So I don't really get upset about it or concerned or involved uh, because, you know, it's, it is what it is. That whole issue that you're bringing up is right along the lines of we, we talked to another vet at the uh, Lano County militia rally. He was a Vietnam vet. He had uh, friends of his in his platoon die in 1967. He was wearing a T-shirt on the front that he made and designed. The front of the T-shirt had 1967 across the front of it. And on the back of it, he had all his friends from the platoon that had died in Vietnam. And, and we asked him about uh, how he felt about the war now and about some of the things that happened in the war. And then we said, you know, you're a hero. And he said, I'm not a hero. He said, my friends are the hero. They're the heroes. And he was emotional, visibly emotional. I mean, tears were in his eyes. And this is 50 years later. Rural voters and rural people in rural areas are feeling marginalized. They feel like they're marginalized from the debate and discussion. There was one woman in El Dorado, the El Dorado uh, she was from El Dorado, Texas, small town outside San Angelo. And she said, I didn't vote this election because I knew my vote wouldn't count. I don't really fall either way. I don't fall right or left. I'm more in the middle. Um, so I actually didn't vote this year because I felt like my vote wouldn't have counted. But I feel like Texas does a good job of getting things done quickly and not dragging out things as other states do. A lot of us, you know, are, this is a younger discussion board right now. So we can't really relate to being drafted into a war that had to see so many atrocities and then coming back to a country that really was pretty, you know, unaccepting of you. But the fact that they still are trying to have their voice heard and they don't feel like it is being heard is pretty tragic. And how do we, how do we move forward and fix that problem? Something that I thought was an interesting paradox when listening to the interviews was the majority of the interviewees responded and said that they didn't really trust the government. There was a lot of distrust there. But more or less, um, I'd say the majority of people also said that in the state legislature, they thought, yeah, Lano's um, voice was being represented and being heard. So I was kind of wondering um, if we asked versus uh, like federal government and state government and local government, Perhaps the more localized the government gets, the more trust they have in the institutions. I don't know. Colleen does a pretty good job in our community about stuff, like addressing stuff. Uh, I'm a teacher. We're both working in the school system, so it's, it's pretty it's pretty good there. Uh, gosh. In terms of like issues, I mean, there's nothing political that, you know. No, I mean, there's no, been no riots or anything or crazy. I mean, the city council is pretty diverse. School board's pretty diverse. Um, I can't think of off the top of my head any major issues affecting Colleen at this moment. So, anyway. Sorry about that. 
No, that's okay. So, I mean, kind of negate their second question. So you feel like you're being pretty well represented in terms of uh, both the political yeah. parties? Yeah. And I think circling back to accountability, at the local level, people can <laughs> circle around a candidate and hold them accountable and say, why are you trying to take my guns? What's up with this? And the candidate has a chance to respond in real time. So that's where I think um, accountability and trust, in my opinion, would be a lot greater, the more localized. I mean, many times we heard where small towns are places where people can trust each other. I trust my neighbor. I will say that uh, rural, rural communities are, act, in my opinion, are better just because you have that community bonding and um, everybody backs everybody. Like in our community, we had two fires happen within six weeks and two house fires. So the community really came together and made sure that those families were taken care of. So um, community is a huge thing in a rural community and I feel like you don't get that support in the larger communities, so. And in, and in, our, in our large republic, we aren't interacting with our legislators. There are fewer members of Congress that are returning to their districts and holding town halls than ever. That's, they don't come back to the district. They're not, they're not connecting to people as they did 30 years ago. There's a book that Richard Fennell wrote uh, in the mid nineties called Homestyle. And basically in Homestyle, his argument is he does a, an in-depth look at members of Congress returning to their districts. And he says, that is how the people of the district hold their legislator accountable their interaction with them, their one-on-one -on -one conversations and act, asking them questions in a public forum. There's so much money in politics now and dark money can just go to candidates that, you know, whoever raises the most money generally wins the election. So politicians are more incentivized to make calls to rich people to fund their campaigns and less incentivized to actually reach out to the people. And, you know, you said earlier that just as local versus national. When you look at, at research in political science, generally people distrust Congress. But when you look at what they think about their local member of Congress, they generally support that member of Congress. So we heard that in times when they said, I don't trust, in these interviews, we heard them say, the government's not honest, I don't trust government, but I do trust the elected official. And so what's interesting about this election, the Trump-Biden election, is the question around the legitimacy of that election itself. So if we trust our elected officials, the question is, who is elected? So how do we build trust? How do we establish trust again? How do we develop and overcome the corruption? And how do we get America to a place where we can talk in ways that trust one another the group W man again, I keep on going back to him. That was my favorite interview, if you haven't noticed, but he said, get off Facebook. And I added on to that and, you know, go to the bench. And I think that, you know, people having discourse and dialogue on social media has taken away accountability in a similar way that politicians don't have the same accountability anymore. But when you're talking face to face with someone, you're going to be you're going to speak with a lot more respect than you would if you're on an Internet platform. And, and the militia said the same thing. One of the militia members said, we got to get people off of social media. Stop relying so much on social media, because yeah. yeah. honestly, some of the social media that we get 
is the problem that we're having because they're putting lies out, not the truth. So we need to get away from that type of stuff and get back to the way we used to be. And learn to think for yourself. Don't follow along with the crowd. It's all right to be your own person and to have your own views and opinions. And it's all right to say it, whether it hurts somebody's feelings or not. That's right. You know, because I don't know what anybody else thinks, but words ain't never hurt me. You know, facts don't care about your feelings. You know, one of the painters, when she was talking about the idea of truth and trust. Well, I'd echo what she said about truth. I don't think you can unify around lies. I don't, I just don't think that's possible. Um, so I'd also echo that and I'd say tr trust. If people do not have trust that they can speak their mind and, and, and it is true. You need to learn how to speak your mind in a confident, but measured way. But I think we also need to learn how to accept when people get passionate. Sometimes that passion is not anger. It's just passion. About the need to use language that unifies us, that we haven't been able to find a place where we can bring people together and unify around the issue of trust. And if people don't have that, then we can't move forward. We need a language that people can use with each other that's civil and listens to each other. Thank you for listening. What do you think? How do we rebuild trust in America? React on our Instagram and Twitter accounts at The Civics Lab. Join us in our next episode as we dive deeper into the rural-urban divide in America. From the Civics Lab at St. Edwards University, I'm Dr. David Thomason, and we will talk to you soon.